To express yourself, where teens talk and the world listens. Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be the Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. My grandfather used to say that once in your life you need a doctor, a lawyer, a policeman, and a preacher. But every day, three times a day, you need a farmer. Brenda Shep. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, producer of Express Yourself and Stow Style Productions, we bring this program to the airways as an outreach service of the Be the Story World charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. For today's show, Be the Story You Are wants to thank everyone who has volunteered and supported BTSYA over the years. We are thrilled to be serving the world. If you'd like to help us celebrate being a top nonprofit with a donation, please visit www.btsya.com. That's www.btsya.com. Every dollar counts, and we will use the funds for our outreach programs. Make sure to listen to Express Yourself wherever you listen to radio or music. iTunes, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. We broadcast from the Empowerment Channel on Voice America Radio, the largest radio network in the world. Hello, I'm Kirthi, co-hosting this show today. Hi, I'm Rose, your other co-host, and before we start this program, we want to announce that Be The Star You Are charity is entering the metaverse. By purchasing an NFT from www.starstylecommunity.com, you'll be donating to Be The Star You Are. Each NFT is based on a character from Cynthia Bryan's new children's book, No Barnyard Bullies, illustrated by Jensen Russell. These NFTs are like baseball training cards. Check out the roadmap for upcoming events just for Star Style community members, where exclusive experiences are part of the package. Going to be super fun. Jump into the metaverse and buy our NFTs at https.www.starstylecommunity.com. Today's show is all about farming and food. In segment two, we will be talking with Cynthia Bryan, animal enthusiast and author of No Barnyard's Bullies, a new children's book about, about pigs and goats and everything cute. In segment three, Kevin will be talking about AI and farming. And right now, in segment one, we have Alex with the segment Diners on Board, talking about the world-renowned sustainable restaurant 11 Madison Park. Hi everyone, my name is Alex Ehrlich and my segment is called Diners on Board, where I discuss restaurants in my local area of Los Angeles as well as around the globe and the impact of food in our everyday lives. Today the topic is food and farming and I'm going to talk about a plant-based tasting menu I had the privilege of getting to experience with my best friend and your host, Rose Arner. So before we begin, I want to outline a usual fine dining tasting menu for listeners. 
Um, these are usually served at higher price points and aren't easily accessible for many people. So I think giving a basic structure will be helpful. So when I say a tasting menu, I'm talking about a meal consisting of multiple courses. In most cases, each dish is very tiny, so there are many and many dishes. The last tasting menu dinner I attended was over 15 courses. So these meals usually follow a basic outline with miniature, unique one-bite courses starting the meal. And these are always my favorite because I think here chefs are able to experiment and use, and they have the most creative freedom and experimenting with the ingredients and their technique in these dishes. So following these bites, there are usually the uncooked dishes, and I'm not talking about raw chicken, but these generally consist of things like ceviches, raw fish, salads, vichyssoise, uh, gazpacho. And after you are served, um, you are usually served a fish dish, a meat course, and then dessert. So this is just general. Not all tasting menus, of course, follow these criteria. But most of these fine dining tasting menus often end with more small bites of dessert called confectionaries or petite fours and uh, paralleling the beginning of the meal where you also get these small bites. So the high price points at these Michelin star meals are because of a couple of reasons. So number one, you are getting a much higher and attentive level of service. So when you walk in, you are like immediately greeted by someone. There's a waiter at every corner. It feels like for every for every diner or guest in the restaurant, there's two servers just for you. Like you, you'll go to the bathroom and when you come back, your napkin will be folded on your chair. It's these little details that make it feel like you're really getting a luxury style service and you're treating, you're being treated like royalty. And so number two are luxury items. So people, when they go, they want to feel like they're getting bang for their buck when they go to these expensive uh, tasting menus. So they usually chefs, Uh, pump up the meal with expensive ingredients like caviar, truffles, wagyu, lobster, etc. So you'll find a lot of those kinds of ingredients in these meals. Um, And then the third third, uh, part component of, in, in my opinion, of Michelin star meals is you're really getting the highest level of produce, which is what the theme farming comes into this, where where they are sourcing their ingredients from. They're not going to their local Ralphs for vegetables. These Michelin star restaurants are usually only doing two turns a night, which means they are seating diners in two waves and they seat a limited amount of tables. So because the menus are so intricate and the meals can last for hours, only a few number of people can be sat a night. So because there's fewer diners, that means these restaurants can source from smaller local farms, where compared to something like the Cheesecake Factory, they're seating so many people a night, they can't possibly source from a local farm, and it's much more expensive. So these tasting menus are are able to um, are able to source from these local farms and get better and better pro- produce. So the restaurant I'm going to talk about is Eleven Madison Park, which is a three Michelin star restaurant in Manhattan that in 2021 transformed its concept to a totally plant based menu. And before we talk about we talk about the amazing parts of the meal, the delicious food, I want to first acknowledge how Eleven Madison Park has been involved with a lot of controversy surrounding the executive chef, Daniel Hum. And he's been accused of um, fostering these horrible work conditions, a toxic environment, not being in the kitchen, which is really important when you are the head chef to be in the kitchen working on the ground with people, and also severely underpaying his workers at the restaurant while charging 
$335 per person. So those articles and exposés were released after Rose and I dined here, but I think it's important to do your research before going to a meal as expensive as this, especially at this sort of price point. And this transformational 11 11 Madison Park was rebranded as this environmentally friendly and progressive move. It, It could also be viewed as greenwashing and concealing these terrible labor practices. But I do want to give you an unbiased review of the food itself, which is very produce and veggie driven. So Rose, to start off, um, I want to go through each menu item one by one and then talk about what we liked, what we didn't like. Um, Yeah. So starting off with the tomato tea. Rose, do you remember this dish? I do. Or I remember the tomato and strawberry salad more because that was one of my favorite. I know you. There was this. Yeah. So the tomato tea was served at the very beginning of the meal. And I wasn't expecting a lot from it. But when it was like so it was basically tasted like straight like tomato broth. But almost like there was there's no like pulp or anything like that. It was just like the essence of a tomato kind of in a broth. Oh, yeah. Now it's coming back to me. I feel like it was more like. Yeah, more tea-like than real tomato. Mm-hmm. But I had like undertones of a tomato, so it was really nice to have like before everything because you were able to slowly immerse yourself in the various flavors. Um, yeah, which it was almost like a palate cleanser before you even like had anything. Exactly, exactly. Which I really enjoyed, actually. Yeah, I know you loved the next dish, which was a this tomato strawberry salad with like little strawberries and little tomatoes. Yes, this was one of my favorite dishes by far out of like the 15 or I mean, it felt like 20 dishes at this point. But um, yeah, it was it was a lot. <laughs> uh, but my this was my favorite because I thought that you were really able to not only taste the freshness that Alex was mentioning, um, the farm fresh ingredients, but you were also able the way they um, served it to you. They served it like each tomato was meticulously placed on this small plate mm-hmm. along with the strawberries around and the herbs that they also incorporated. So I thought it was just interesting because I think visually you were able to see um, like the food systems within it and the farming within. Yeah, the- it's interesting. It's like seeing where your food comes from. It was like very simple, but like the flavors were great. This wasn't my personal favorite, but I also I, I enjoyed it for what it was trying to be. I it was tasty for sure. Yeah, but you could. Next, yeah, sorry. I think the next one, the next one was your favorite, or one of yeah. your favorites, right? This was definitely the next dish was um, this yellow tomato dosa, which was like sun dried tomato made like the dosa wrap, which is like an Indian style flatbread, but it's not. It wasn't. It wasn't. There wasn't any bread involved, and it was wrapped in this leaf and then served with two different dips, a pine nut dip, which was like incredibly creamy and almost something like you feel like you'd eat on, well, not as indulgent, but something you'd eat on like Super Bowl weekend where you're eating like a French onion dip, but instead it was like pine nuts and incredibly fresh. And then there was also like these, um, it was like melon and cucumber and and then with sesame. And I think they really complemented the tomato dosa really well. This was, I thought it was a really creative play on a dish that I think a lot of people are familiar with, but in a really fun and interactive way. Yeah, I think I really liked about it because it you were able to really understand how much time and effort 11 Madison Park puts into their dishes because of the texture change too. I think like each dish provided a different 
not only flavor, but texture and experience and also like cultural relevance too. I think each dish plays on a different culture or background um, that people are so used to. Like, for example, the French onion, like a French onion dip or yeah. And with the tea, it's more soothing. Um, But I really liked how going from a tea to a salad to then like something more crunchy um, was really nice. Yeah. And then we come to this Celtus porridge, which is kind of like celery, but it was like very, very thinly sliced um, over like a rice, but it was porridge style and it was like in a warm broth. And I was not expecting a lot from this, but it was, it was kind of like the broth where it was so warm and comforting that you just, you just had to love it. I don't know. What were your thoughts on it? I really like this one. Yeah, that was, that was good. It was like fresh dishes with like little sauce involved, I think. Yeah. I think, but yeah, um, there was a really- lot of there was a lot of dipping sauces on the side here, which is like, like I think like twelve, like not twelve, but like at least four of the dishes involved like eight dipping sauces on the side, which was interesting. Yeah, and- I really like this one because it was very simple too, and I think I appreciated it more even after the whole course, all after the all fifteen courses were done because it, they got so intricate. I felt like the more and more you got down through towards the end of the tasting menu um the more intricate and even we'll talk about it with dessert too the more intricate each dish got um so I really like this one because it felt very like soothing if that makes yeah um moving on is was this was one of their signature dishes which is like um which I was not expecting it's called tonburi which is this kind of seed um in these lettuce wraps and it was, it was, um, and it was, it was served with a foam, uh, foam pea dip, which was incredible. And it was, it was, it's kind of like caviar almost, but it was a seed. So it's plant-based and it wasn't, um, it wasn't anything I was expecting. I don't, I know you didn't, um, I know you didn't like this dish because you don't like caviar, but I thought it was really interesting. But then again, I didn't think the lettuce wraps and peas were beneficial to the dish because it kind of was a flat flavor. And I think it would have benefited from like a sort of bread. Yeah, I do think it was, I mean, at least with like the presentation, the lettuce cups and like there was a lettuce cup, but there was a sauce. And then there was also like the caviar like thing. So it was fun to kind of like build your own, like kind of have an activity within a long meal, which was nice because Mm -hmm. the is very long, like a tasting menu. Um, but I do think that, like, as good as it was, it was kind of interesting because I feel like a lot of the dishes that Eleven Madison Park incorporates in this menu try to replicate those of meat-like or those that are, aren't vegan, for example, like caviar, or even later down they try to replicate, I think, chicken and fish. Um, but I think there's so much more you could have done without trying to recreate caviar. Yeah, for sure. I also think that... Um, I don't think it was, I think it was trying to show this Japanese seed that you don't see a lot, which is really interesting, but it wasn't, I I think just showcasing this really interesting ingredient that's really hard. First of all, it's really hard to like get the, the chefs have to like meticulously pick out each individual seed 
from a plant, but I think it was more showing the produce, but I think it would have benefited from other things. And moving on to, I think this was the one dish that me and Rose were like, wow. Oh my God, this was so good. I want to I know, I know. The laminated croissant bread rolls with sunflower butter and then a little bit of miso on top of the butter. It was just, it was just a wow. Yeah, these were, these, we got like, we should, we probably shouldn't, but we ordered like three more rounds of these because you could get unlimited amounts. And it was the butter didn't, definitely didn't taste like regular butter, but it was also something. It was also it was it's still beautifully soft, amazing with the miso. The croissant bread like melted in your mouth. It was incredible. Yeah, it it was just so good. I mean, it was like the perfect balance between bread and croissant, and mm-hmm. then the butter was just like it tasted like butter, but it also didn't in the perfect ways. It yeah. was it was so good. I yeah. wish. I- I mean, I feel like I wouldn't go back because I wouldn't need to spend that much money on a meal because I feel like I experienced it. But I would go back single-handedly. You did go twice. Yeah, but I would go back for these bread rolls. You would go back for these bread rolls. We just love bread. There wasn't enough bread. And the next dish was a cucumber melon salad. In my opinion, this was forgettable. I I could I it was good, fine, could move on to the next dish. You know what I mean? I agree. I agree. There was nothing special about it. Yeah. I didn't like I didn't like the texture at the top of the dish. It, it was a little slimy. I agree. Didn't love it. And then um, but the next dish I lo- I thought was really soft and and at this point I think I was getting a little tired because I think I was getting the same flavor profile. And I think other diners in our party were commenting on it, how it was a little like you can, you can't, you, we were getting, it was delicious, but at a certain point, like you need some fat, you need some, you, all we were getting at this point, I think was like acid and like broth, yeah. like the summer squash, soft tofu and a lemongrass broth was delicious, but the same kind of flavors. Yeah, it's like I was ready for like tomato sauce or something, or on like, <laughs> or like something not acidic. Yeah, you're right. A lot of our people who were dining with us did comment on that, but I do think that this dish like did a good job of kind of shifting a little bit, at least with textures, because I felt like before a lot of the things tasted um, very like vegetable-y or used vegetable textures, but this one kind of manipulated vegetables in a different way um, to replicate yeah. like fish. I felt like this is the dish that tried to replicate the uh, like a white fish. That's I, I agree. I agree with that. The next is a fried sweet pepper, kind of like this rendition of a stuffed sweet pepper. And it was served with a variety of dipping sauces. And I was at this point, the dipping sauces were great. The pepper was tasty. I was a little sick of the Oh, it's a do-it-yourself with like the eight different kinds of dips, but it was still it was still tasty. Yeah, at this point I was really full, so I didn't really appreciate it that much. Yeah, I was just I, like on to the next. Let's let's get this over with. Yeah, but I but I did go back um, later that week because I was able to get another reservation for my mom's birthday, and I um, was able to go back. And I think the second time going, I really appreciated it a lot more because Mm -hmm. it was something that I've never seen done with a pepper. And I think that's one of the really um, powerful things of like using sustainable ingredients or even fresh produce is you're able to do so much with it and just prove that anything can be done with it. And it's very versatile. Yeah. I think the next dish definitely showed that it was, 
I think this was supposed to be sort of a meaty dish. It was a smoked beet, which was smoked in a clay pot for like five days. And then it was wrapped in lettuces. And it was kind of supposed to get this like smoky flavor that you were, that you kind of miss when you don't have meat. And I'm not, I hate beets, but I really, I actually really enjoyed this beet. Although I would say everyone's like, it tastes exactly like meat. And I was like, it doesn't. And it was a beautifully done vegetable. Like you said, showcasing the produce. This is what 11 Madison Park's mission is now. But I wouldn't say the beet tasted like meat. Yeah, this was, like you said, this was supposed to be their, like, replicating their famous duck dish. Um, Yeah, the duck dish is, the duck was something they, that was 11 Madison's Park signature dish before going plant-based, where they would, like, they would dry out a duck for, like, 26 days, and it was beautifully done and like on a table uh, this is their plant-based version but i don't think it lives up to what the duck would be yeah i i agree i didn't i don't like smoky flavors in general so i didn't love this one i also felt like the wrap that it was wrapped in you're not able to really see what you're eating which i enjoyed doing and i didn't like the sauce yeah. it, like gravy like i didn't love it yeah, it was it was kind of like it was a gravy. It was kind of like a brown, like uh, it was it, it was. I I thought the sauce was tasty, but I understand where you're coming from, especially you who is a pescatarian and you don't eat meat. Um, and then the next one was interesting because it replicated a steak dinner for me. It's like you when you go to a like a classic steakhouse, you get a steak and then you get like creamed corn and green beans and creamed spinach. And for this. Instead of a steak, you get a grilled eggplant and you get a side of fresh green beans and fresh sweet corn. And the sweet corn was amazing. The eggplant was also really good. It was served with like pickled radishes and shiso. And if you notice a pattern, there's a lot of Japanese flair to um, Hum's cooking. So um, this definitely showcased his technique. Yeah, I didn't love the eggplant. I felt like it was kind of, I do get, I, appreciated it but I didn't love it because I felt like it was again like especially following the beat I felt like they had similar um similar flavors like and it underscored more acidic tones too which I didn't love um after like towards the end I was kind of sick of it but I did I love the corn I thought it was perfectly creamy um and put together and super fresh too especially in summertime when we were there um and I like the green beans too. I thought they were do I thought they were great too. Um, yeah, but loved the dessert, the sh- the um, blueberries with yogurt ice swirled um, and blueberry compote on top, which was great. And I loved how it was like it was kind of an art project. It was so beautiful, beautiful too. And I liked how it was like yogurt, but also like I don't agree with you. I f- thought the the yogurt like encasing the freeze was a little icy and it was good and then there was also that strawberry that was filled with like a granita that was also good and then I know everyone loved they do this at the end as a take-home dish but the sesame chocolate pretzel was also good but I didn't think any of the desserts were mind-blowing I would have liked a little more chocolate or a little more it felt like the same tone as the rest of the meal which is great which is showcasing produce but you're still only hitting one note a little in my opinion the dishes individually amazing but as a cohesive tasting menu i don't know if it always works 
Yeah, I get what you're saying there. I I really loved the pretzel though. That yeah, was. I know my you love that pretzel. I um, wish they gave you more. It was really annoying. So actually, you made half of mine. I think. <laughs> but I think that. Yeah, and I do get what you're saying. I think they could have done a a dessert like a part two of a dessert that was a little bit more chocolatey. Um, I think that was what they were trying to accomplish with the pretzel, but I think they didn't give you as much of it, so you could really get that um, and yeah. see that through. But um, also something to mention I think is important because I know people are like, why would you pay this much money to go to a restaurant? Um, we did. We were able to get a tour of the restaurant um, after a meal, which was really cool just by being engaged with our server and interested in what was going yeah, on. Yeah, it, it's cool when you go to the – the kitchen usually when you imagine a kitchen you imagine a lot of like chaos but in this kitchen it was like so quiet that you could hear a pin drop like everything was so smooth and orderly and like like it it's like it was very like everyone had their job and was individually like if it was like putting those little tomatoes all in the plate it's it was really interesting seeing all the components come together in that kitchen yes definitely and then they send you home with granola as a goodbye, which they've always done, plant-based or not. Yeah, that was so nice. I've never experienced that within a tasting menu. I was so surprised. And then Alex had to explain to me that's what that's just what they do. A lot of tasting menus do send you home with a goodbye present for the next morning. Yes. Okay, wow. You guys seem like real food aficionados. I'm afraid I can't say the same. I am, to say the least, uncultured swine in these aspects of life. And that's a bit nonsensical because food is what makes you alive. Well, why don't you guys enlighten me and tell me, is 15 courses too much? Because you're giving me all of these wonderful sounding dishes but you guys ate this all in one stay or are the quantities of each dish really tiny i think yeah the the first couple dishes are tiny and i think where we messed up is we ate like eight pieces of bread um but i think if we had restrained ourselves on the bread part we could have probably had a more comfortable dining experience but usually these menus are very carefully planned out and they try to plan out so that you're not that you're not you're like when I say a when I say like at a at a normal tasting menu when you say when you see a steak on the menu you're not getting a full steak you'll get like two pieces because you're trying a bunch of stuff yeah I agree I think if we cut down on the bread, it would have been more comfortable. But um, I do, I would have eaten the same amount of bread because it was my favorite thing ever. It was so good. And I think that they also do a good job of spacing it out. I mean, they give you a lot of time in between the meal. I think our meal lasted like three hours, if I am correct. Yeah, so- it did. It lasted like three and a half. We got there at around five. No, we got there around eight and we left at like, Twelve thirty. Yeah, it it was crazy. I've never experiencing experienced anything like that. But I mean, it just it's such a special experience that I think fifteen courses isn't too much because you're paying a lot of money to go. You're also immersing yourself in variety of cultures, and the dishes aren't that large too. Um, so I do think is a really great experience. Um, even if you do it just once in your life, like a tasting menu offers a very different dining experience than um other restaurants that you would typically go to like on a Friday night. 
Okay, wow. Like, I really like this discussion, even though even though I'm not really big about food. I really think they all sounded delicious. And, you know, maybe one day I might I might try going to this restaurant. So anyway, unfortunately, that's it for this segment. Make sure you stay tuned for our next segment, where we will interview Cynthia Bryan, author of No Burnier Bullies. We want to hear your thoughts, and we want to answer your questions. So email us at btsyateenradio at gmail.com. That's btsyateenradio at gmail.com. Check out our radio site at www.expressyourselfteenradio.com and our creative community site at www.bethestoryworld.org. You can get involved with Be The Story World charity, buy books and t-shirts in our store, sign up for our free newsletter, and make a donation to Be The Story World. Are you a teenager with lots to say, but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel and join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com. You can express yourself. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be the Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth. Visit bethestaryouare.org to make a tax deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. Be the star you are dot org. Be the lucky star you You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Express Yourself, discussing farming and food. Now I would like to welcome Cynthia Bryan. Cynthia is a SAG and AFTRA actor, producer, radio personality, writer, speaker, and coach who has been adopting and rescuing animals since she was a child. She has published eight award-winning books, including co-authoring the New York Times number one bestseller, Chicken Soup for, in, for the Gardener's Soul, referred to by the media as a Renaissance woman with soul, 
Cynthia is the founder and executive director of the top-rated nonprofit 501c3 literacy charity. Be the star you are, dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth. Since 1998, she has produced and hosted the popular international lifestyle radio broadcast, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. She's also our producer. She lives on a mini farm with her husband and a managley of well-loved animals who inspired Stella Bella's barnyard adventures through stories. Besides being a dedicated gardener and garden writer, Cynthia grows people. Her goal with this book series is to help children learn lessons in living through the lens of nature's amazing animal kingdom. Hi, Cynthia, and welcome. Well, hello, Rose. Hi, Kirthi. Thank you for having me on your food and farm show. I really, en- I really enjoy talking about both of those things. So, um, yes, I did. I grew up on a farm where we raised all our own animals and we ra- we grew all our own food. And so planting a garden and eating sustainably has been something that I have done my entire life and I highly recommend it. That's so interesting. I'm so excited to learn more about your childhood and um, how you got interested in sustainable farming along with your book. Well, uh, I'll tell you, first of all, I'll just jump to the book because I know this is going to be just a shorter segment. So the new book is called No Barnyard Bullies. It's the first book in Stella Bella's Barnyard Adventures. And uh, the book is for children. It's beautifully illustrated by Jensen Russell. And it features absolutely true stories that happened uh, to my animals uh, throughout the time that I have been uh, adopting Um, abandoned, abused animals or animals that needed to be rehomed. And the thing that I'm doing with the book, though, is the stories are being pulled through the voice of the animals. So it's it's very fun. And this first one, No Barnyard Bullies, is about Cookie the pig, Tripod the three-legged goat, who was born with only three legs, and Monet the little bunny who protects Tripod. And then there's, you know, chickens and ducks and geese and all the rest of the animals that are in it. And... Um, uh, you, you just have to you have to find out how uh, Cookie was a pampered pig until she came to my barnyard and my animals let her know that there's no such thing as uh, princes and queens in our barnyard. Everybody's equal. So the whole point of the book is to help children and adults be more kind and to be inclusive. So it's a very sweet book. I'm really excited about it. And I'm starting on the next one, which will be out next year. But getting to your second question about um, growing food, yes, I I really feel that everyone can grow even a little bit of their own food, even if it's on a balcony or a windowsill or, you know, a small patio or, you know, you don't have to have a plot, you can have a pot. So it's like, what do you like to eat? And that's what you should grow if you like to eat lots of vegetables and herbs and and fruits. So it's actually really easy. And this is, uh, since it's fall right now, this is the perfect time to either get some seeds or just to get some seedlings, you know, get just some sprouts and to plant something. So this time of the year, it's great to plant things that are cool season like beans and arugula and lettuce and kohlrabi and cauliflower and Brussels sprouts, uh, broccoli. 
Well, you know, what do you guys like to eat? And I'll tell you if you could plan it right now. <laughs> well, this might be a little bit strange, but I do like eating mushrooms. But I, I figured that that would be a little bit different to grow since mushrooms are technically not plants. They are fungi. So, uh-huh. Well, that's a great thing. You know, uh, Kirthi, that's a great thing, though, because I, too, I love mushrooms. And, and oh, boy, I have, you know, I have had two pigs. And I, often, I always have said I wish they were truffle pigs because my favorite, I'm sure, Rose, you probably like truffles. I have you, oh, my gosh, I just love truffles. and But they're not truffles. I don't, haven't had any truffles that I've been able to grow. But mushrooms, let me just tell you, if you like mushrooms, there are such things out there as mushroom kits. And I would, I would really suggest that that would be what you would buy to grow. They're not too expensive, and you can get them in the mail, and you can actually just have a small area, and it's all different kinds. You could do all different kinds of mushrooms. Growing up on our farm, we had uh, portobello mushrooms that grew wild, and we also had something we called pinkies. So we, we had a lot of mushrooms, and my entire childhood, we always foraged for mushrooms. However... When I was like in my mid-20s, we had a fellow neighbor who somehow got a bad mushroom in his um, farm area, and um, he actually died, and it scared me. And so I don't forage anymore for mushrooms. Now I prefer to do it like what I just told you. You buy a mushroom kit, (laughs) or I would get them at the farmer's market from somebody who is a mycologist and who actually knows about mushrooms. So you got to be very careful with mushrooms. Don't eat the mushrooms you see growing in your lawn. Don't eat the mushrooms that you see growing under trees unless you know about mushrooms. In France, it's so great. Uh, France is amazing. If you go and you forage for mushrooms, you can actually bring them into a pharmacy and they'll tell you if they're poisonous or not. We don't have that skill here. So I wish we could because I have a lot of mushrooms growing on my property, but I don't trust that they're edible. Do you think that mushrooms are good for growing in the winter? Well, mushrooms grow when it's moist out. So what happens is um, is like you're not going to grow them in the summer, but if you start like probably pretty soon, um, like you're going to see mushrooms growing all over the place. And all, you know, in the Northwest, uh, a lot of people forage for mushrooms in Oregon and Washington, but they know what they're doing. But as far as these kits go, you could grow them pretty much year round. So if that's your question, when can you grow them? Just, uh, you know, look online and uh, and look for the kind of mushroom that you're looking for. And it'll give you instructions. And they're really easy to do. Thanks so much for sharing that. I had no idea how to grow mushrooms. I feel like mushrooms, I can also never find them at the farmer's market, which is kind of interesting. Well, I'll tell you why you can't find them at the farmer's market, because mushrooms are very seasonal. And so the mushrooms that you're buying, if you're buying mushrooms like at your just your normal grocery store, it's usually just the regular mushrooms, right? You, You get, you can find portobellos and, you know, you'll get the brown mushrooms, the white mushrooms. But they're they're growing um they are growing them on a specified farm where they're making sure that these are not poisonous mushrooms. But there are hundreds of different kinds of mushrooms, and they're so can be so delicious. But just look it up online, and you'll find kits for probably all the different mushrooms 
that you would ever want to find. I I haven't found anything to grow uh, truffles yet, though. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. I now I can understand why they're never there. Yeah, um, exactly. Exactly. Do you have any favorite vegetables or even fruits um, that you grow? Well, when, you know, it's like asking what's my favorite uh, child, probably when you uh-huh. ask that, because I love. Off. I, I, I'm like you. I'm a, I am a foodie in the fact that I just, I love all uh, fruits and vegetables. But some of the things that I grow, that I grow year round, uh, basil I can't grow year round because um, it is a summer crop, but I eat, use a lot of basil. But I like to have herbs. So herbs year round, you know, parsley, oregano, uh, fennel, uh, rosemary. I use this in so many uh, cooking and fresh things. I always like to have arugula because I'm just a huge arugula fan. And um, and right now, because it is, you know, it's going, it's late fall. As I said, the things that are going to grow now, like my my garden right now is full of Swiss chard. It has cauliflower, uh, arugula. It has lettuces. Um, I already planted. If you like garlic or shallots, you should plant some now. And a little tip for people is you don't have to go and buy any special kind of garlic. If you just go to the store and buy uh, one of those big cloves of garlic, um, you know, that's like 50 cents or something like that, and pull it apart and you plant each individual clove, you'll get a full clove by next summer, a full great big one, you know, with many more. So you can grow your own garlic. But I loved in this time of year, I like to grow peanut, uh, no peanuts, peas, turnips, cauliflower. I've just planted my carrots today, um, broccoli. I already have uh, Brussels sprouts growing. I, unlike Alex, I love beets. I love beets and arugula and goat cheese together. I think it's so good. <laughs> I just love it. I planted cabbage. Um, I have radishes. Um, what else? Oh, spinach. Asian greens are great. So that's like what to do now. And as far as fruits on my trees right now, I have guavas that are ripe. I have apples that are ripe. And uh, let's see, I have um, apples, guavas, oh, pomegranates and persimmons. So it's probably time for me to sign off. Do you have any other questions? People can find my book at CynthiaBryan.com. The money goes to be the star you are, and it helps fund this radio show, Express Yourself. So I hope that people will go and look for not only No Barnyard Bullies, but any of my other books. And I have garden books there, too. I wrote Growing with the Goddess Gardener, and it gives you what to plant every month and little stories uh, that are true from every month. So thank you for having me on this farming and food show. Thank you so much, Cynthia. Unfortunately, like she mentioned, that's all we have time for in the segment, but stay tuned for segment three with our reporter, Kevin Chu. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be the Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth. 
Visit BeTheStarYouAre.org to make a tax-deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. BeTheStarYouAre.org Be the lucky star you Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Are you a teenager with lots to say, but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel and join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com. You can express yourself. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Rose Sarner, and welcome back to our episode on farming and food. Now, I'm excited to introduce Kevin Chu on a segment, AI and U.S., and is discussing how AI influences farming and food systems. Hi, everybody. I'm Kevin Chu, a Be The Star You Are reporter. My segment is AI and Us, which talks about how AI can and does affect our lives. Today, I'll discuss how AI plays a role in farming and food sources and how it could further affect the industry in the future. Farming, while not considered a very glamorous or popular industry in job hunting, given how the rage is about astronauts, doctors, and lawyers, it's still an incredibly important industry because farmers produce pretty much all of the food we eat. The veggies, the meats, the fruits, the nuts, the beans, and everything in between. Without farms and farmers, the world will probably just become a massive hunger games, which would be very bad for me because I have the athletic ability of a crumpled paper ball. Anyhow, the image when people are asked to think of a farm is probably one with fields, a barn, a tractor, hose, and plows, and maybe even a few pigs, cattle, or sheep. If they're really imaginative, they might also add a dog. However, this image is only 73.4% correct, as the modern farming nowadays have more than a few interesting tools and pieces of tech. Fertilizer spraying drones, massive rows of forest bean pipes, even trucks with pipes, trucks with pipes attached to them to distribute whatever is needed. In all honesty, the truck with pipes kind of like spiders when looked at from the front, and I was gently creeped out a little by it when I saw it when I first saw it. Getting back on topic, farming is a whole as a whole is so much more advanced than a lot of people, probably including you, think it is. So listen closely. First off, what AI does to indirectly benefit, benefit farmers. There are many aspects that indirectly help in the cultivation of crops, such as the security and safety of the field. 
Although things like robot police still don't exist yet, security cameras are more than enough of a deterrent for most traders, and advanced security cameras that use AI, AI are especially effective and can help stop the crime before it's committed. Have you heard of face recognition? Dumb question. Of course you have. Please ignore that. Um, yeah, that. But in security cameras. By registering the faces of the workers in the field, more modern security cameras with AI are able to check whether or not a person who has entered the field is somebody who belongs there, and if they aren't, can send an alert to the workers or the owner to notify them of the possible break-in. In addition, it can also be used to differentiate between humans and animals entering, which would be useful in cases where many people visit the farm, but the farm also has a high animal population that can eat away at the crops. Another big part of farming is the prices at which they sold at. Farmers often have issues with knowing what crops to grow and sell because of an unstable and constantly shifting market. Public opinion changes faster than the mood when I randomly get reminded of the most humiliating experiences of my life in the middle of a nice and rainy weekend. While that might be a slight exaggeration, fluctuating market prices are still quite a big issue for any farmer. However, through AI, that if issues can be solved or at least mitigated, and market prices are influenced by a number of factors, like the prices of competitors, supply and demand, etc. While we are limited by our puny human bodies and limited energy, AI has no such issues and can easily take all the factors I just listed and dozens more, letting farmers know what's popular in the market and what they should strive to sell to make the most profit, letting them buy more seeds and resources to expand to start the cycle all over again. Another important portion of farming is how much you'll get out of one harvest. AI, as you guessed, is able to assist with this as well. Modern drones and sensors are able to efficiently and quickly gather data about all the different factors that go into crop yield ranging from simple things like the weather to more complicated and in-depth things like nutrient distribution in the soil, how much fertilizer they've been given, and the moisture in the air and soil give a probably precise measurement of how much you'll get of one harvest. This is very helpful in helping farmers in the future and knowing what they need to fix if the harvests are getting smaller and smaller. If something's wrong with the weather, well, they'll obviously know. But for more subtle aspects of the nutrient distribution that I mentioned before, they'll obviously need the help of modern technology for that. Not like you can just stick the soil. If one thing goes wrong, everything else starts going wrong. For example, when I started doing badly, I made the AP Chem class. I started investing more time into it, and my grade in that class did improve, but my other class's grades also dropped as a result of that. Of course, because I'm Asian, my other class's grades were high enough that I was fine when they dropped a bit, but the real world, including the world farming, is much less forgiving. I dropped snowball, become an me into a fatal snow ruler. That's what those snowballers are called. As a result, AI technology that allows for easy, quick, and efficient discovery of errors or lacking requirements is very valuable. However, while catching the error in the act and stopping it before it snowballs into a massive disaster is invariably good and amazing, catching the error before you can start is the best before you can even start is the best way to do it. With modern AI and a bit more cash, that can be done as well by taking all the factors that I previously mentioned before. Also, other factors like the amount of sunlight and simulating situ situation in which technical crops are grown with those factors. It's definitely a bit more complicated and, as a result, a bit more expensive, but its effectiveness is undeniable. Natural environmental factors aren't the only th constant thing taking farmers. Pests do too. Oh, yes, the creepy, crawly, jittering, buzzing, jumping things are hiding your walls and shoes are everywhere in the farms. Actually, that's probably one of the biggest reasons why farming is such an unattractive job position to many. So it keeps me that away, that's for sure. I've always had a fear of insects since I dated the bathroom, the horse, spiders. 
Also, for any of you that are thinking that spiders are arachnids and are insects, anybody I've met that fears spiders also fear insects to some degree and vice versa. If you scream at one, you'll scream at the other. So don't get me started on the specifics. Anyhow, getting back on track, pests are constant irritant to farmers, ranging from light annoyances to absolutely ruinous monsters. As a matter of fact, at the very least, a tenth of the world's harvest is lost to those buddy little pests. 10% doesn't seem too bad until you realize at least half of the world's food is literally from harvested crops. Even at 50%, that's still 3.5 billion people fed through it, and 10% of that is the equivalent of 350 million people's worth of food. That's a lot of lost food, which is why the ability of AI to mitigate these threats is so integral. AI is able to prevent the spread of press by pests by combining plant health sensors and drones to map out infected areas in the farm and make sure the pests don't spread from there. In addition, after initial infections and outbreaks, the AI can predict the pattern of spreading crop cycles. This is much better, obviously, after all, stage zero cancer is much easier to deal with than stage one cancer. Through these predictions, farmers can easily and quickly prepare for any future pests by simply knowing about which areas to prepare and try to inoculate against said pests. Like I mentioned before, farming isn't seen as a very popular job, and most people would do another job if they could. However, farming, well, though, is a very important job. One that the human race would probably go extinct without, given, given, how much, given how pretty much all of the food in the world is produced from farms. AI can be used to remedy the lack of farmers. I'm thinking robotic farmers controlled by AI to help uh, out human farmers in the manpower, and it's already being done so. While the AI in those robots isn't enough advanced enough to farm independently yet, receiving orders and following a set schedule is more than doable for them. Menial but exhausting and time-demanding chores such as driving a plow would be perfect to use them for. In addition, AI can help farm can help farms from outside them as well. One example of this is greater control and use of supply chains. Farms require a lot of resources from the outside, including seeds, new tools, fertilizer, fresh soil, water, the list goes on and on. An optimized supply chain would accelerate the delivery of those products immensely and ensure that farmers will be able to get what they need when they need it. On the other hand, if shipments are delayed and something does go wrong, an AI-optimized delivery system will be able to quickly know about it and notify farmers that their shipments might get delayed. Letting farmers know that they need to start cutting down on usage to make sure they don't run out. AI doesn't just help on the behalf of plants, though. It also helps out with the animals on the farm. Have you ever had a fitness band, the new fancy ones that you check your heart rate and other things? I have one. I can use it a lot, though, because they have an incurable case of shutting. However, they are still really useful for determining your general health. And things like that exist for farmers as well, with more detail, too. AI is able to detect and measure the health of an animal, and maybe even know what exactly is wrong with them so that farmers know how to help them out. That's a bit of a, or maybe just accelerate the process of taking them out back and shooting them. That's a bit of a depressing thought. So, uh, so let's just say that the farmer in this example is a very nice farmer. Either way, offer, AI, AI offers an easy and efficient way to monitor the health of farm animals, and it is a great accomplice. AI is an incredibly effective and useful tool one that can be applied in an unimaginably large amount of diverse and imaginative ways. AI was born only about 70 years ago, yet it's already so advanced and powerful, and it's only going to get exponentially more powerful and useful as science starts developing at an exponentially faster rate as well. And it's fascinating to just see just how AI will change the world next, unless somebody recreates Skynet from Terminator. In that case, I probably won't be too excited, and will instead be digging my grave.
I hope you enjoyed our show today, and I hope you enjoyed Kevin's wonderful segment, wonderful and very interesting segment. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today's show. As always, we express our gratitude to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment crew, especially our audio engineer, Josh. Thanks to our guests from all across the world, and a huge thank you to our lis- listeners for making us a top-rated program. For more information about Be The Star You Are charity, visit www.bethestarur.org. Find us on Instagram at Express Yourself Radio. Remember to engage with your local food policy officials, support small farmers, and be sure to eat sustainable. Always remember to speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself, produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines if you would let yourself